Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. It's Thanksgiving week. Cotton harvest is still ongoing in many parts of the cotton belt, but despite open weather for the past few weeks, the late start of this crop is still showing now that growers are working hard to get the crop out of the field. I'm sure they're going to feel pretty thankful when that's finished as well. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower, and joining me as always is my colleague and friend, Beck Barnes. You got big Thanksgiving plans, Beck? Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, we're going to be here in Memphis. I'm not going home to the farm in Mississippi this year, but I'm, I'll tell you, I got my feelings hurt a little bit. I put it to all of my in-laws if they wanted me to fry a turkey again this year. <laughs> and boy, I did not get a whole lot of enthusiastic uh, response from that. So I don't I don't know what maybe they didn't love. Maybe they feel like I might burn their house down, uh, but I'm going to keep asking. So we'll see. Keep, keep that peanut oil sitting there ready to go. Yeah, it's the one, one thing I buy peanut oil. I'll tell you what, it's not easy to dispose of that in the city of Memphis. <laughs> that's, that's for our other podcasts. Yes, that's for that's that's when we get into into the food service side of the business, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, since it's a holiday week, we're going to keep things short and simple for this episode. Uh, it's been a few months since we turned our attention to the pricing side of cotton. And honestly, that story was starting to get a little repetitive for most of this year since cotton prices kind of were, were stuck in this six cent range around the mid 80s. Well, that changed a couple of weeks ago. Prices dipped back into the mid to high 70s and something nobody in this industry wanted to see at this time of year. But there are reasons behind that movement. So to help bring this into perspective, Dr. John Robinson, extension cotton economist for Texas A&M is going to join us in just a few minutes. Stay tuned for that discussion. Yeah, Jim, but first, uh, we want to hear from our sponsor, partner, the American Cotton Shippers Association. They have a brief message they'd like to share. The American Cotton Shippers Association, also known as AXA, is a trade association primarily made up of cotton merchants founded in 1924. AXA members manage the majority of the world's cotton trade, providing services of merchandising, delivery logistics, and risk management to their customers. AXA is proud to be celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. Join them in Scottsdale, Arizona in June 2024 for their centennial celebration event. All right, a a big thank you to AXA. Uh, So we do want to look at some items of interest before we jump into that interview, Jim. Uh, But since we're still talking about harvest, there are some, some unpicked acres, unstripped acres out there. Let's take a quick look at the most recent USDA crop progress numbers. Now that short, that report shows that 67% of the total US crop has been harvested as of November 12. Uh, that's up 10 percentage points from the previous report and four points ahead of the five-year average. So moving along, you know, pretty good, pretty good average pace here. Uh, on a regional basis, uh, the report shows that 66% of the Southeast crop has been harvested, 95% of the Mid-South crop 60% of the Southwest crop and 53% of the Western crop. So yeah, that tracks with what I see on Facebook. A lot of farmers' wives making, you know, big, it's a big showy field picture and then a big paragraph about how thankful they are that harvest season's over with. It's always the wives who are very grateful that, <laughs> you know, husband's back back home for back at, in the home place. So, but I but I but I will interject here that it's also great photo time because I've been getting inundated with cotton kids photos. Yeah, uh, for the for the magazine. I am I averaging maybe 
you know, three, four, five a week. You know, some really cute kids standing out in those in those cotton fields just before the pickers, uh, you know, uh, are are poised to, to head down those rows. So, uh, yeah, kudos to all the parents who are sending those in. I appreciate it. Uh, just keep watching watching our issues as we get into early twenty twenty four, and uh, and you'll see your your kid. Oh, a lot of a lot of very talented amateur photographers out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically of our friend Marjorie Walker. I saw a picture she put on Facebook. She's at the National Cotton Council, mm-hmm. as y'all might know. And uh, boy, she put a beautiful shot on Facebook to celebrate Bob's wrapping things up here in the Mid-South. Yep. So still some work to do out there in the fields. Um, now, amid all of the debates in Congress about continuing resolutions for government funding, word came just yesterday, yes. uh, I believe, November 16th. Thursday, yesterday, the, the current 2028 Farm Bill got extended for another year. That's guaranteeing that farm legislation will remain in place as negotiations continue for a new Farm Bill in 2024. The National Cotton Council released a statement from NCC Chair Sean Holliday expressing appreciation of the Farm Bill extension. Uh, Holliday said, quote, The National Cotton Council is grateful to the leadership in the House and Senate for extending the 2018 Farm Bill for another year. This extension will give the U.S. cotton industry certainty and program support as we head towards next year's planting season. So, uh, Holiday also noted that it is critical that Congress moves as quickly as possible in 2024 to pass a new farm bill that enhances the safety net for our producers while addressing the challenges faced by all segments of the supply chain. He added that the cotton industry is committed to working with the House and Senate Ag Committees to get the new legislation completed as quickly as possible. I was really glad to see that extension uh, come in because obviously with all the debates going back and forth about uh, about funding, everything, the, the last thing anybody wanted to see was have to see the farm bill expire at the end of the year without without an extension of some kind. That would that would throw us into a certain amount of chaos that nobody wants to see. So uh, yeah, well so again, appreciation not just from the council, but I think from Cotton Grower magazine as well. The, uh, you know, to the, yeah. to the Senate and House, Senate and House committees working working together to uh, to get that extension in place. Yeah, yeah, I know that we were out in Lubbock. It was that early October, Jim? When at that time we were hurtling towards a government shutdown. Right, a lot of sweating going on about what that meant for the farm bill. And so, yeah, it's good to go ahead and kind of nip this in the bud before anything yeah. tiny happens. In yeah, I think I think yeah, it, it was it was the right thing. It was a prudent thing to do simply because there's just no time left before yeah. the end of this year to make that thing happen. So uh, we can kind of all sit back, catch our breath, and jump back into it early next year. Hopefully it won't take another year to get it done. Yeah. Well, now we're going to turn our attention back to the cotton market and some of its recent late-season gyrations. Joining us once again with all the answers is our friend, Dr. John Robinson, who's AgriLife Extension Cotton Economist with Texas A&M. John, welcome back to the Cotton Companion. There's certainly no pressure attached to this discussion. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, let's, we're going to get to prices in just a couple minutes, but let's, let's start with USDA Supply Demand Report for November. Um, for the past few months, we've seen projected production for the U.S. slide uh, a bit just as we, just before we got into harvest. But this month, U.S. and world production increased. What is happening? Why are we seeing these numbers shift so much? It, I would say it's normal, and I would say that 
we're zeroing in, even though there was an uptick in the guesstimate of, of U.S. production, they're, they're kind of zeroing in on the, the actual, the real number. So I would take you back to, to August. In August, they had a two and a half million bale adjustment compared to the previous month. <laughs> September, that was, that shrank down to about 830,000 bales they're cutting. So they cut two and a half million, then they cut 830,000. Then in September, they, or sorry, September, in October, they cut 310,000. So the, the cuts are getting smaller and you're right. In November, they actually went back up, even though they were cutting out of Texas, but they found a lot more cotton in the, in the Memphis territory. Right. And so we were up 200,000. So the gyrations are getting, uh, amplifications are shrinking. And uh, and they're zeroing in. It, it, typical timely they, for this time of the year, they ought to be within a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand bales of the final number, and they probably are. Mm-hmm. So I expect, to be honest, I expect by January or at least February, they'll probably be at the final number. They'll have some of the best data to use in that. They'll have Jennings estimates and actual classed bale counts, and so that'll that'll help finalize it. So I'd say we're on a normal track to predicting the crop size and the consequence of that from a marketing standpoint is there's less and less room for surprises on the supply side to to give us a late season rally Mm -hmm. well looking at the supply side i think everybody's uh, all we've heard for the last few months is uh consumption uh demand uh it seems to be a global issue we've got more ending stocks right now uh demand still looks like it's pretty soft where does the U.S. and the world sit in terms of, of their stocks on hand right now? To be honest, I couldn't tell you what the world ending stocks number is. Uh, I'd have to pull up a table to confirm that. I can tell you that from November compared to October, world ending stocks went up because they've been adding a little production here or there, uh, but they've been cutting cutting the consumption side they've been cutting the the mill use side mm-hmm. steadily for the for the last two or three or four reports and it's happening in important places like Vietnam Bangladesh and China in the November report really the biggest thing there was an increase in Chinese imports but they're importing to stick it in their reserve so I wouldn't even call that real consumption mm-hmm. the the demand side as you say has been somewhat somewhat soft. Now, the silver lining of that is with the recent decline in U.S. cotton prices that we can talk about more, uh, that decline dipped so low in the last two or three weeks that we actually, we hit demands like it's like hit striking oil or digging a well and hitting water. We found the demand down there in the mid-70s and, and prices have rebounded there. So that, I think we I think we know where demand for U.S. exports is. It's just lower than where we where we had been. The the other issue related to demand is there. Other countries have been importing cotton. They've just they've been buying it from our competitors. They've been buying it from Brazil, mm-hmm. who has a big crop of quality cotton, and and they're able to market it more cheaply than than our stuff was being marketed. So they've had more in the business, and and that may. That may take us into the first quarter of next year before we use up all the Brazilian and available Australian stocks, and then they'll come around to buying our 23 crop, you know, out of a warehouse. 
uh, John, boy, you 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 touched on uh, what I was interested in there. Yeah, we heard. I'm, I'm thinking back to February when I was listening to Joe Nicosia at the Gen Show, giving his uh, annual report, and there was a lot of talk about Brazil at that time and how they were kind of emerging as, you know, a bigger threat and the capacity they had to do more. Um, you just touched on it. They've they've taken a lot of the uh, market at the moment. Is it, can we regain? Is this the new world that we're living in, or can we regain kind of our status as global kind of number one well export market? They they have passed us as the number three, I believe, three producer, and they might well pass us as the number one exporter. At, with the pace of exports that they have. Now, there can be variations from year to year. You know, we're in an El Nino situation, which that tends to make most of our competitors drier when we're wetter. So we we might have more bales to sell next year in uh, the 24 crop than they do. You know, you get those kind of annual fluctuations. But, you know, they've got a lot of resources and Brazil got a lot of land resources and they have a friendly climate that's more friendly to cotton production. It's it's wet when it should be during the growing season and it's dry during harvest when you'd like it to be dry. That's the Brazilians have that from nature and you know, you, you can't really compete with that. Or it's hard. What about other other challengers, other countries globally? Is there, you mentioned Australia in passing there? I mean, is there anybody else we need to be keeping an eye on? Uh well, I tend to th- I tend to classify Brazil and Australia as our straight up competitors for the same thing. That is good quality machine picked cotton. There's we're all the same in that regard. Uh, we're we're suppliers of quality cotton. The mills know what they're getting when they buy bales from Australia, Brazil, or or the United States. We also compete to some extent with lower grade cottons, you know, from the West Africans. When India has a surplus, they're an export competitor. But, you know, places where it's hand-picked, there's less quality control, there's less quality, you don't know what you're getting, uh, that that doesn't compete head-to-head on price the way that the way that we do with the Brazilians and the Australians. So I tend to look at them as kind of one, one group. I got you. Well, I, you know, obviously this discussion... Uh, Filters back to price is ultimately what we're talking about. And we've seen that recent slide back into the 70s here recently. It's something that growers did not want to be contending with as harvest, uh, you know, is is in you know, full stride. Uh, what is pushing the price down? We touched on it earlier. Uh, and what's it going to take to bring those prices back into that uh, 80 cent range that had been consistent through this year, maybe even higher? To, to be ever- bluntly honest... I don't have a clear reason. If we, if we go back three weeks ago and two weeks ago, where prices are actually, yeah, back to the end of October, prices took a, like a 12 cent slide. And it wasn't clear to me at the time, not in conversations I had, not in what I read. It really wasn't clear to me. Why is this happening? <laughs> you know, um, I mean, an obvious answer there, there was speculative selling. So there were spec positioning, but why were the specs being bearish? I don't know. Did they all just this week buy into this story about weak demand? Um, I don't really know. Was it harvest progress in the United States? You know, good harvest weather in the Delta and, you know, more more bales than we had expected. Yeah, maybe a kind of a bunch of things came together, but 
I couldn't really point to any one thing and say, well, that's the reason prices just went down 12 cents. It really wasn't and still isn't that clear. Now, what would make it bounce? Well, it bounced on the low end because it found export sales. We had a marketing year high of U.S. export sales during that at, at the bottom of that slide. So, okay, there's demand. So there's the bottom. So now I just kind of expect us to be bouncing around in this newfound range, 75 on the low end, and I don't know, maybe 85 on the upper end. And what'll take it up to 85? You know, something happens. There, there's, I think there's a lot of short speculators in the market. If something happens to scare them, I don't know, a hurricane or some threat to supply or something, I don't know, whatever would get them to bail out of those, buy back those short positions, that that could be a little jet fuel that would take us over 80 towards 85, maybe. If we, if we started to see week after week after week after week of huge export sales, well, that would, that would suggest to me that demand was expanding. I don't really expect to see that. Mm -hmm. but, uh, so, so something really, really bullish might push us up to the upper end of that range, but I think we're still range bound. It's just the range keeps shifting. The range shifts around. That's what it's yeah. been doing for 12 months. Yeah. I noticed I noticed something, uh, a little news bit just the other day that, speak, you know, speaking of China, uh, you know, and, and the imports, their import market, you know, they're, they're, uh, they've decided to uh, to shut off their, their auctions internally in the country, which my guess is, again, they're just restocking right now. Uh, you mentioned probably, you know, as, as somebody described it, moving from our warehouses to their warehouses, and it's, you know, it's, it's, is what it is at this point. So I think they're getting ready for, they appear to be getting ready for, you know, for some sort of movement on it. But uh, we also noted that uh, in the latest USDA crop progress report, which we look at on a, on a weekly basis, showing that the Texas harvest is now 56% complete, according to, to their numbers. Obviously, the majority of what's left in the field is up in that high plains, rolling plains, panhandle area. What are you hearing about progress and about yields up in those areas? I haven't heard a lot. I'm guessing the cuts that we've seen by NAS to production are probably related to fields that were low yielding, so low yielding that they weren't they were deemed not worth harvesting and became an insurance claim, a late season insurance claim. So I'm, I'm going to guess that's been going on. So what's left, I would think, would would be you know okay enough yield for them to have gone on. To, through harvest with it. But to be honest, I haven't really heard a lot. They've had their hard freezes and they had some kind of strange warm, warm weather. I suppose all that's good as far as getting the crop uh, in, in a condition to be harvested. So uh, m my guess is that it, it wasn't really the latest crop in the way. It wasn't some places because of all the rain during planting time, but I, I imagine we'll be through on schedule, so we'll, we'll probably have it wrapped up in December, January. Jenning will wrap up in January, and and uh, the the thing about the thing about the year really is that it was just it was a disappointing year in, in the sense that it people were hoping that they'd re do really good and that twenty three would make up for the disaster of twenty two. I'll remind everybody twenty two was the drought of record for us, and well twenty three what wasn't that makeup year. It, mm -hmm. it started off dry and then we had water, maybe too much water, and then we had extreme heat and just a lot of weird conditions 
tough conditions and it wasn't the year that we needed. And I think farmers had their hopes up because of the rain that came in April and May. Their their hopes for good production were high. So it was kind of like a kick in the gut. It was yeah. disappointing. Based on these current market conditions that we've been talking about, uh, any advice for growers to kind of help them protect or, or maximize any crop marketing that they still still need to do if they haven't already committed everything? What I would, I, I maintain some really simple hedging examples. I do that every year just for educational purposes. And so um, one thing I've noticed with those examples is that there are a lot, the, the, the strategy of selling your crop, either forward cash selling or selling a recap right after harvest and then buying call options to still participate in a rising market, those call options have been less expensive because of the lack of volatility, because of the sideways trading that we've been in. The premiums on those calls are cheaper than than I recall in previous years. So it's it it seems to me to that's it's a good time as any to employ that strategy if you if it's if what's keeping you from selling is fear of losing out on higher prices later, well then you can pay for the right to participate in higher prices later. And it's probably cheaper to do that with call options in our world than it is uh, storing it and and then you know paying through storage to have an opportunity later. I, I think it's probably cheaper. And I, you know, it's an empirical question, as my professor would say. So you you can pencil it out. What's your storage cost for two or three months? And what's the cost of a out of the money March or May call? And and compare the two. Mm-hmm. I would have I would direct people towards making that evaluation this year because it seems like it is a more affordable uh, strategy. Okay. Well, we mentioned earlier that you know we we're now in an El Nino weather pattern, uh, which normally means we're going to have a wet winter there in the Southwest, uh, which hopefully will give us a good start to next year's planting. Uh, any thoughts on where you think total Texas cotton acres may end up next year? And I know we've talked about this in the past. What is what do you think you what is your corn to cotton ratio formula telling you about uh, where total U.S. acres it may go next year? I'll, I'll answer the second question first. The uh, it it is suggesting when you look at new crop corn and new crop cotton, it's suggesting ten and a half, eleven. It, it moves around and it's really the prediction is for where that ratio is during the first quarter of the year but right so, so far it's it's been uh predicting like 10 and a half to 11 as high as 11 million acres well if you take if you take 11 million acres and uh assume el nino planting moisture and enough moisture to get the crop out of the ground and you know you could you can pencil out a 15 and a half, 16 million bale crop pretty, pretty easily nationally. And if that happens, then I'm kind of worried about uh, prices being weaker unless there is a much stronger, all the fears about demand and all the fears about recession just go away and we have evidence of strong demand, expanding demand. You know, if we have a 16 million bale crop with current demand, I imagine we probably have cash prices at 72 instead of 76. Uh, and and that's what that's my early early outlook for twenty four is it's it's just beware of lower prices if we do mm-hmm. have the crop that 
I want everybody to have. Right. And as far as Texas specifically, you know, we have fewer choices here. We, um, but where they can switch to something else in the coastal region and the, in the better irrigated regions of the panhandle, if corn prices are higher, which co- corn prices don't look very good, uh, but when they're higher, they can, they can do, and they did this year. They there was a whole lot more corn compared to cotton next year. I, I, I don't, I don't know that they're going to do that. So I, I would think Texas acres specifically will probably be kind of unchanged. And they, so it, then it comes down to what happens in your world and what happens in Georgia between corn and peanuts and soybeans compared mm-hmm. to cotton. Lots of possibilities at this point. Yes. Lots of question question marks. Well, well, John, I tell you- A long time ago, say you could just just take a year off, take everything to Vegas and put it all on black for that year and just, just see what happens. Now, if, now, John, if you were ever advising that, then, I, then I'll know we're in trouble. <laughs> well, John, I tell you, thanks thanks so much for, for taking time to join us today. Uh, I think we can we can say with a great deal of confidence that this economic roller coaster has still got a few more climbs and some dips probably for us. Uh, I'll just be curious to see what we're talking about here uh, when we get to the Beltwide meeting in January. I, I will. I will too. Unfortunately, I don't have to give an outlook presentation there, so I'll uh, I'll see what other people. You you sit sit in the back of the room and yeah yeah take notes make, make take notes and throw darts. Yes, I know I know how that works. Anyway, we appreciate your time. Uh, have yourself a great Thanksgiving. Thanks a lot, and good holidays to everybody listening. And we'll see you in Fort Worth in January. Sounds good. Same to you, John. Thank you. Thanks very much. So, all right, that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to thank our friend, Dr. John Robinson, for sharing his thoughts on the current cotton market situation. A big thanks, too, to our sponsor partner, the American Cotton Shippers Association, uh, for their participation and support uh, with the Cotton Companion. And as always, we want to say thank you to our dear listeners for joining us. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And if you did like what you've heard, Please be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends, your farming neighbors about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, Sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, he's Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in a few weeks with the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day.